Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land. So happy Saturday to you guys. I want to welcome our loyal listeners who've been with us for 14 years. Y'all, we haven't for 15 years here. For those who it's your first time tuning in, thank you, thank you. And you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf. I want to start the show with this thought. Don't make excuses for why you can't get it done. Focus on all the reasons why you must make it happen. Don't make excuses for why you can't get it done. Focus on all the reasons why you must make it happen. And welcome to our Saturday, October the 5th, the first Saturday in October 2019 show. Before we introduce to you today's awesome guest, I want to ask you, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you really think you're you're just so good when it comes to mystery and trying to figure things out, whether it's a fictional or a real-life thing? And we know there are a lot of mysteries going on, a lot of webs, even in the, the the real world that can you figure out, you know, I know just what happened. And when it's revealed, whether it's now or years later, you're absolutely right. And do you think you can finger the person who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his friend's life? In love for over me. If you like mystery, now this this murder, Raymond is like what they call willful blindness. It didn't happen to me. I wasn't involved in it. I'm gonna keep it moving. He's new to a city and he witnesses something. It, will he be okay? Just to, as many of us do, see or hear something and just keep it going with our lives. It didn't happen to me. Or will it come back to haunt him in some way? If you like a mystery, I encourage you. Stop what you're doing and get a copy of Love Pull Over Me right now. You can get it in ebook or print format. Next question I want to ask you is how much do you value relationships and love? How long would you wait to experience a once-in-a-lifetime romance, the kind of romance that could just open your life up to brilliance and insight that only a few thousand people get to enjoy? How long would you wait? How long do you think it will be worth it if you value love? And there's a complicated father-son relationship in love for over me. And there's a soulmate relationship. And there are these four friends. You're going to love these four friends. If you value relationships and love and you like a good murder mystery, I think you're really going to want to get a copy of Love Pull Over Me by Denise Turney. And you can get it in ebook or in print. Again, Love Pull Over Me by Denise Turney. Please go treat yourself to a copy of Love Pull Over Me today. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. Listeners, our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Dawn Karima. And Dawn is an ordained minister. She serves the hope I'm spelling pronouncing it right. She serves the Koala Boundary Reservation in Cherokee, North Carolina. She earned a Bachelor of Arts from Harvard University, her master's from Ohio State. Go Ohio State and her doctorate degree from the University of Kentucky. In addition to authoring the books, The Way We Make Sense, The Marriage of Saints, and The Mother of Nations, Dawn is a two-time Global Music Award winner and a Native American Music Award winner. She was a finalist for the New Mexico Book Award and a Woman of Essence Global Award nominee, and she hosts a podcast, A Conversation with Don Karima, and her last name is spelled K-A-R-I-M-A. She has two award-winning CDs, The Desire of Nations and The Stars of Heaven. She has written articles and content for numerous periodicals. She also wrote for news from Indian country. We're delighted to have Dawn with us this morning, and I'm getting ready to link her in. There's so many callers on the line. Hope I get the right line. Dawn? Hello. How are you today? Well, I'm, I'm, I am doing fabulous. Welcome to Off the Shelf this morning. It is I'm just looking forward to what you share. I'm looking at, I get something from every guest that we have on, and it's so do so many of our listeners. Uh, so, again, I want to welcome you to Off the Shelf, Dawn. The first few questions that I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest, and, again, because when I started this show 14 years ago, I used to just go right into the questions, and listeners asked me to get a little bit of backstory on the guest before I launch into the questions. So these same 
about four questions I ask every guest on the show. So can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up, Dawn? Sure. Um, One of the greatest things about growing up was that I have had the blessing of having my culture and traditions as part of my life, my entire life. So a big part of my development and my growth has been centered on our tribal traditions, stomp dance, powwows, learning our languages and practicing our our culture, our traditions, our beliefs. My home is the Kuala Boundary, which actually is in the midst of the Great Smoky Mountains, and it is the prettiest place on earth. And I have the wonderful blessing of being part of a community that is close-knit, that is tribal, that is loving, and that is centered on the spirit. Oh, I love your welcome. I love your you're 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 telling us about where you grew up. The Smoky Mountains, not a part of Smoky Mountains. I when I was nine my dad moved us to Knoxville, so we would go up the Smoky Mountains, but it's so long. But I was always familiar with the park close to Gatlinburg and Pigeon sure. Forge. I know it, it runs and runs for miles. Dawn, what did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? What did you want to grow up to be? <laughs> my brilliant career began when my preschool teacher gave everyone a box of crayons and pieces of paper and uh, said, you need to draw what you want to be when you grow up. And I drew myself as the friend of God. Wow. And she looked at my picture and she said, you're going to need some glitter. <laughs> and she gave me an entire <laughs> jar of glitter <laughs> and glue to go with it. And I covered that picture with glitter. And so when I was a small child, I aimed to be a friend of God. And however that took form or, or however that manifested, that was fine by me. Oh, my goodness. You are very open, almost like, um, I know, uh, I'm not sure what like what you follow, but what is it, the Tao or a Buddhist, just they tell you, don't try to control anything. And it's something to constantly <laughs> remember. Just stay open. It's it's hard to believe sometimes that it'll all just come together and all work out, especially if you don't fight it to, it, to trust and just let things happen. Now, what did you major in when you were in, in college? What was your major? Um, at Harvard University, I majored in social studies with a focus on popular culture and the media. And that was a wonderful interdisciplinary major that allowed me to focus on different cultures, ideas, the arts, and the humanities. And what what attracted you to that to that major? I think what attracted me to the major was the fact that it was so expansive, and that I could customize it. Uh, Harvard, for example, did not have Native American studies. And so I was able then to draw from all different disciplines in order to put together the kind of curriculum that I wanted to develop. And I think when we are choosing our fields, we're choosing our majors, it's a wonderful thing to remember that life is long. You're not limited to just what you learn in that particular classroom on that, you know, in that four-year period or whatever. And so I wanted a major that would grow with me where I would know a lot about a lot of different disciplines, where I would be able to uh, access a certain discipline at one point in my life and then access another one at a different point in my life. And so that's why I chose social studies. You know what's funny hearing you say that? And whenever I think of college now, I think of the student loan debt, unfortunately, is so high. But um, when you go to college, a lot of times, you think I, I'm, I'm picking a career that I have to stick with for the rest of my life. And it's interesting that you, mm-hmm. what you said, I think that's something worth sharing with young people is, you know, this isn't something you have to stick with for the rest of your life. Even if you put eight to ten years into a doctorate degree, you can still later change your mind. Uh, that, it's just interesting to hear you say that, and I appreciate you sharing that. Now, Dawn, who or what inspired you to pursue writing. I know you said you when what do you want to be when you grow up and you get you were given to draw a picture and your teacher said you need some glitter. But who or what inspired you to pursue writing and what what birthed your love for books? 
I think that I had a call and a mission. And I think that's really important, especially for our young people, not to focus so much on a job or an occupation, but focus on a call. And then the occupation will come. What are your gifts and talents? How can you serve other people with those gifts and talents? Uh, What can you do with those gifts and talents? So I would say that in my case, um, I had a mission, which was to love God and love others. And so sometimes that does look like writing. Sometimes it looks like the books I've written. I have a brand new book out now from Uttered Chaos Press called Mother of Nations. And it is a book that I wrote as I was manifesting our new baby. And then sometimes it looks like music. And that's why I'm a two-time Global Music Award winner and a Native American Music Award winner, because the songs on the Desire of Nations and the Stars of Heaven were basically prayers and, and, and the thoughts of my heart and the intentions of my heart at that particular time. Sometimes it looks like my radio show. I host an award-winning radio show, and it's called A Conversation with Dawn Karima. You can find that simply by Googling A Conversation with Dawn Karima on toptainmentradio.com. And then, of course, we have free podcasts, and we're syndicated to other radio stations as well. So I would say that writing was just one way of loving people in that moment. When I write my books, I may have something that I feel that I want to take from my heart and share with other people. And it's the same with the music. It's the same with the radio show. And it's even the same with my films that I've made. Okay. An artist, you're definitely uh, uh, using your creative muscles. That I wanted to ask before we start talking about your book, Mother of Nations. Are there any other writers or artists in your family? Sure. I mean, I think that indigenous people, by definition, are artists. I think we're by definition theologians because we don't separate the sacred and the secular at any time. So I think, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's lots of artists, there's lots of musicians, there's lots of uh, talented writers, authors, speakers um, in my family, in my tribal community. And I just think that's who we are. I think that's as indigenous people, we celebrate that, we honor that. Our artists have a special place. You know, we believe our storytellers are very important. We have prophets and we have singers and each one of them has an honored place. So I think the answer to that is yes, but I think it's also part of an indigenous identity. Ah, okay, okay. Do you live on the Kuala Reservation? I don't remember if you said uh, yes, or not. I do. Well, can you just mm-hmm. uh, very briefly, and then I do want to get in talking about your book. I, I can't even, is it like living in a, just a regular city? Sure. Uh-huh. It's like my, any other small town. <laughs> no, that's great. I, I think it's a wonderful way. You know, I love it when people ask questions because what ends up happening is we grow and we find out we're more alike than we are different. Unity is our strength. And so when people ask a question, we can begin with that and we can work from there. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between tribal people and the mainstream is that when you ask us a question, we tell you a story, right? If you ask other people, hi, how are you? They say, oh, fine. If you ask us, we tell you about who we are and where we've been and what happened to us today. And so the stories are incredible currency um, to meet someone and ask questions and exchange answers and tell stories about yourselves. That's how we grow. That's how we build understanding. That's how we, um, we actually develop empathy for one another. And so, yes, it's just like any other small town, any other small town in America, which so many of our friends listening probably have been to small towns or come from small towns or suburbs, right, where everybody knows everybody and people go to church on Sunday and there's a supermarket and a um, a library and a football field and high school and all the other things that take place in any other small town in the United States of America. And one of the great things about it is that we're all connected, of course. And so that is a beautiful feeling. It's like being at home in the midst of your family all the time. Okay. Now, now last, I wanted to ask, are the reservations, are they independently managed or, or they do they have to abide by it? I, I listened to a show um, about a 
area in Hawaii, and they were talking about that. And I think they were still independently managed, and they wanted to stay that way. Are they independently managed, or does it have to abide by, like, the U.S. laws? Oh, wow. That's a really broad question. I mean, we could talk about treaty rights and treaty laws all day, and it would be fascinating. But just for the sake of time, I'll say that the United States has special relationships with sovereign nations, and certain states have relationships with their recognized tribes as well. And so tribal governments are sovereign governments. Um, Lots of them have their own license plates, for example, or their own playing cards or their own laws about tobacco or other substance distribution. So I'm not going to go into that too deeply because it's such a big topic, but I will say it is a sovereign nation. And so when you drive onto the reservation, <laughs> it's not a whole other country, but it is almost another world. Wow. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You know, I think that's a good thing. Again, it was a show I was listening to in Hawaii and was a part of there, and they said they did want to stay independent, and they, they still were. Um, so now, Ms. Dawn Karima, what inspired you to write Mother of Nations? Why this particular book? Well, Mother of Nations is so exciting to me because it is my first collection of poetry. I have novels out, uh, The Way We Make Sense, for example, uh, was a finalist for the Native American Book Award. Um, the New Mexico Book Award finalist that I wrote was The Marriage of Saints. So, I mean, I have novels out, and they've done very well. The Marriage of Saints is part of the American Indian Studies series at the University of Oklahoma Press. And so that's been such a blessing, beautiful blessing. But I had the opportunity to write a collection of poetry for the first time that was published. And I've published lots and lots of poetry in periodicals, and I tend to be well-known for it. But even poetry can be seen in my songs. I write my lyrics, I write my songs, and I've done very well with my music as well. But this is precious to me because Mother of Nations was actually written by me as a prayer to manifest a baby. We were really desiring a, a child. Doctors had said that that would be impossible, but God always has the final say. And so I sat down and began to write poems about culture and tribes and nations and motherhood and families and ancestors and legacy. And a publisher loved it and uttered chaos press published it in January, which was the month that my miracle baby was born. Oh, what a blessing. Oh, my So it's goodness. dedicated to him. Yeah, it's actually dedicated to him. I wrote it before he was born. <laughs> but I, I, it's actually dedicated to our miracle baby. And he's healthy and happy and wonderful. And being his mother is the most fabulous thing I have ever done. So Mother of Nations oh. is actually my my name. My name, uh, my tribal name is Mother of Nations, and that's the <laughs> title. And that that actually came before I was anybody's mother. Why, one of my uh, great uh, spiritual leaders and holy men came to me. I had another tribal name, a different one, which I loved and I cherished deeply. <laughs> but he walked up to me during our New Year's ceremony called Greenhorn. And he told me that he had a new name for me, that I would be known from that moment on as Mother of Nations. And so I had to introduce myself to people as Mother of Nations. And the first thing they would say was, where are your children? Or how many children do you have? And we had none. But for years, I had to say, hi, I'm Mother of Nations. My name is Mother of Nations. Nice to meet you. Wow. I'm Mother of Nations. And then in 2019, I'm a mother. Oh my goodness! And congratulations! Mm -hmm. Oh my, what a blessing! What Thank a you. blessing! Now, was this your first time you. writing poetry? And what was the process of creating the book like for you? Oh, there's tr I have a tremendous record with poetry. The way we make sense, my first novel probably is a third poetry intertwined with the short stories and the actual chapters of the novel. Um, the, the Marriage of Saints has lots of poetry in it, too. And a lot of the publications and periodicals 
throughout my career has been poetry. So I've always written and published poetry, and I've always been very blessed by the response and very honored and humbled that people like it. This is just the first time I had a chance to do something that was 100% poetry. And the process was a prayer process because I was believing God for something. When I was writing these poems, I was sending them out into the universe with the intention of receiving a child, of actually being somebody's mother. And so it was an interesting creative process because as these poems came to me, some of them are about ancestors I want my son to know about. I want our baby to know about certain family members and certain things that happen and certain historical events, for example. But mainly I want our baby to know the character of God. And so here in this book, I was able to write a lot about culture and language and art and tradition and ceremonies and family and all of those things that make us who we are. So it's kind of a uh, welcome to the world. Here's your manual. (laughs) As well as a way to pray. Interesting. So you wrote this book before you were physically a mother and you were renamed mother of nations and then this happens and you're writing you're writing this book before you're a mother to a child that you you're praying for that is a that is what a gift to be able to give that to your to your baby when, when it's old enough to read or even understand that would be so powerful can you introduce our off the shelf listeners to the book's main overarching theme. Sure. I mean, the absolute overarching theme is that God can be trusted. And so I'm looking at tribal traditions. I'm looking at ceremonies. I'm looking at language and culture. And the very best way for me to introduce you to the theme of this book is to read you the title poem. (laughs) It's called Mother of Nations. Tracks lead straight to the heart of the matter. Songs of the stars made flesh and bone. Lamentation lost in the whirlwind. Peace, since wherever you are is home. A lullaby spun from the sun and moon crying, sighing, scorching earth as a soulful pyre. Turning tides meant to inspire desire. We make a map of the world in the flames of our fire. I think that sums it up. Yeah, absolutely. It sums it up that all of us desire to have a family. We desire to have a legacy. We desire to have a community. We desire to have a home. But most of all, we all desire to have a God who loves us. Mm. What do you think, um, and I wasn't going to initially, it wasn't part of my research question, but what do you think our concept, because everybody I think has a different concept of God, what do you think, how do we concept God? What do you think that comes from? And everybody thinks their concept is right. I can't answer that because I'm not everybody. I can only answer that from my perspective as an indigenous theologian. And what I can say is this, is that you have to make that decision for yourself. I don't think anyone can tell you um, how or what or has how to encounter God except God. All I know is that if you seek him, he will be found by you when you seek him with all your heart. And so I won't put a limit or a definition on that. I will simply say that when we seek God, we'll find him. Okay. And I love how you make that so, so simple. And it, and it, and it really is. Again, the as I was saying earlier, there are people who are in practices where their key thing is not so much maybe even prayer or what a lot of others use, but just let go. Let go and just let things happen. And that can be scary in this world because you think, oh, my God, then what if I, it, it all fails? That's really trusting when you when you say let go. Just let go and let well, it all go. Yeah. yeah, I don't come from a practice like that, so I can't speak to that. But I would just say that, you know, for me, to be the friend of God means that God and I are in constant conversation. He's leading. He's guiding. He's directing. He's ordering my steps, and I'm following in them, just like any other friend. You know, my friends aren't hiding things from me. They're calling me up and texting me and telling me about them. 
My friends want me to succeed. They love me. They want to spend time with me. And I see God as no different. So I really, truly believe that seeking God for me has come in the form of prayer. It's come in the form of, you know, I'm a devout Christian, and so it's come in that form as well. So I don't know what it would be like to just completely let go and let life unfold, but I do know what it's like to trust and obey. Mm. Now, what inspired you? We talked about the Mother of Nations, and you gifted us with a poem from the book. What inspired you to write The Way We Make Sense? Oh, that's my first novel. It was my Master's of Fine Arts thesis. And so essentially that was the inspiration. Um, As I was completing my Master of Fine Arts degree in creative writing, I had to write a thesis. And so I really didn't know what I was going to write about. And then I heard someone say, write what you know. And so I wrote about life in Cherokee, North Carolina. And then it was so well received by critics. I mean, it's quite a number of years ago, but it was so well received by critics and it was just amazing. I saw classrooms pick it up. Professors picked it up and taught it in their classrooms. Um, People added it to their curriculum for multicultural studies um, and literature. And I was amazed by that because basically I was just telling you a story about life (laughs) as I know it. And people resonate, it resonated with people because we are more alike than we are different. And so the themes in it, wanting to be loved, wanting to have a family, wanting to overcome adversity and make a better life for yourself, wanting to make your dreams come true, finding your way in the world, all those things resonate with everyone, no matter what culture you come from. Now, what time period does the story, the way we make sense, take place in? You know, time is very fluid in all of my books extremely, um, because I believe that all time, God, God does not have a calendar. He does not have a watch, but he does operate in seasons. <laughs> and so one of the things that you'll notice in all of my books is that it's very fluid. My books are modern. They are the way we live now, but you're just as likely to see a character go back to when they were young or the Trail of Tears, or other historical events as well. And they're all within a really fluid continuum. So I'm not a big, uh, I'm not imprisoned by time. I recognize time exists, but I feel like we have the ability to transcend it. And can you introduce us to young Indiana Red Paint? What is she like? Well, you know, it's... (sighs) We're talking about a book from 2002, right? And so the best way to say Indiana Red Paint in that book is that she's just like a lot of other people who desire to find someone who appreciates and cares for them, who want the very best possible chance at life. But maybe they've been dealt a very bad hand. Okay, she go. Dawn's gonna leave us. Got to go get a copy of the book. The way we make sense. So is she? Or buy the new book. um, Buy the new book. Is she? Is she stubborn? Is she? If somebody told her something, would she still say, "I'm gonna try and go my own way. I don't care what happens." Is she more compliant? What is her personality more like? Well, you know, I mean, we can discuss that. But I think the best thing to do is bring it to the 21st century and say, um, I think that she's human. I mean, I think we're all human. The other day, someone asked me on a different broadcast what I thought about heroes and villains. And I do believe there's such a thing. But I believe that they're, they're constrained a little bit by time. That even our greatest heroes aren't heroic all the time. Even the most evil villain might not be evil 24-7. And so it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, this character is like that, or this character is like this, and leave it at that, labels. It's better probably for me to say my characters are just people. They have really great moments where they do a wonderful thing, and then great things coexist alongside terrible things where they do something foolish and dangerous. When I was writing Mother of Nations, one of the things that came to me was how much 
history is intertwined with um, now, especially for indigenous and tribal people, that we don't have the luxury of existing outside of our ancestors, nor would we want to. You know, a lot of people say, oh, cast off those old beliefs or, or leave those old traditions behind. No, absolutely not. Those are our medicine. Those are our superpowers. Those empower us to bring all the power from then into right now. And so when I think about my characters and the way we make sense and the marriage of saints and the mother of nations, the characters in Mother of Nations, they're all wonderfully, fearfully made. And sometimes they're also flawed. But it all works together because they have a lot of help. They have the help of the spirit. They have the help of the ancestors. They have a destiny and a future. And so it all works together. So I can't call a particular character stubborn or heroic or brave or courageous. All I can call them is people. Okay. Now, was it common practice or trade uh, to sell children uh, uh, for something as small as a rodeo fee? Was that common when this story happened? And I know you like. Oh, are we still talking about the marriage of saints? Oh, okay. We're still talking about the way we make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. No, absolutely not. No. Uh, You know, the way we make sense begins, and maybe we can move on to one of the more recent books, but the uh, way we make sense begins with a father who makes a terrible mistake, something that's not common, something that was selfish and wrong. But a terrible mistake leads to more terrible mistakes until somebody in the family makes a decision to change. And that's something you'll see with the Marriage of Saints, for example, which is part of the American Indian Studies. And you'll see it in the new book, Mother of Nations, as well. The characters make decisions because the poems are written from the point of view of characters as well. And so the one terrible thing can set a whole life awry. That's what happens in the way we make sense. But one person who decides to break the cycle and change things, also also can change things and also can, can change the cycle. And so that's one of the things all my books have in common is that there's a hope there, that no matter what was done to you, you know, in the way we make sense, for example, we have a father who trades his daughter in exchange for rodeo fees, which is a metaphor for the stolen generation um, that, you know, the government put Native American and other indigenous cultures too, right? Polynesia, um, other indigenous cultures in the United States into residential boarding schools and things like that where terrible abuse and division was um, endured. And so that's a metaphor for the separation of children from their tribal heritage, culture, family of origin. But even though this awful thing happens at the beginning of that book, Um, A generation later, you have Manna, who grows up and goes to college and ends up being traditionally um, sound. She ends up having a bright and beautiful future. She marries a wonderful man and has a child. And so I want to put hope in all of my books that regardless of what has happened to you, what it regards somebody did something to you, somebody hurt you, I am so sorry you had to go through that. But I promise you, that the creator has a good plan for you. He has a plan for you that is bigger and better than anything you have ever dreamed of. And he is ready to walk you through it. And so each book, even this new one, the mother of nations, even the new book has a place in every poem, a place in every character, a place in every part of the story where hope shines. So Mother of Nations, does it read, uh, do you just, are you introducing readers to a different character in the poem, and does young Indiana Red Paint, does she make an appearance in The Mother of Nations? Oh, no. Uh -uh. Um, the, The families that are talked about in The Way We Make Sense and The Marriage of Saints, 
those are two sides of the same family, Cherokee, North Carolina, and Oklahoma as well. So those two, those families, that family line that intertwines are in those novels. People from those families appear again in um, Mother of Nations as part of the poems. And so do new people. <laughs> so do new parts of the family, new people that are part of the tribe. I think the best way to describe any tribe or sovereign nation is as one big family, all my relations. We're all relatives. And so one of the overarching themes in Mother of Nations does tie together with the way we make sense and the marriage of saints, and that these are all people who come from the same bloodlines, who come from the same parts of the earth and the land, who carry the same language and the same stories, the same culture and the same traditions. And they are, they are working together to keep those traditions going. Echota, tribal psalm, is a piece from Mother of Nations, and it describes that so well. Songs echo in the air, memories in mountains, told again in thunder, in drumbeats and dance. Dancers are our poetry. Warriors are our art. We hold our history in hawk and macaw feathers. The trail of tears wounded us in the house of our friends. A chode of faces tilted toward the whirlwind, waiting for spirit to do us justice. Come, creator, hear and help. We call you most ancient of drums. Mm. You know, I was going to ask you, and I love the way you, you read your poems, I was going to ask you, or any of the, is any of the any of the stories, and I'm going to talk next about the marriage of saints. But is any part of the stories autobiographical? Oh, I think everything is. I think it doesn't have to be autobiographical in the literal sense, but if it's part of what your ancestors or your legacy endures or will endure, then it's part of you too. I think it's a very Western concept to think of the ownership of a story as just one person's story. You know, one of the great things about our tribal languages is that in most of them, there's no way to say I, as in I alone, right? It's we, I and many with me, or I, my ancestors, allies, and my legacy. And so we're always thinking as tribal people of our families, our kinfolks, our relatives, our loved ones. So an autobiographical, that's a Western notion. This, this is my story. This is my life. This is what I did. Well, maybe you did, but there was a whole lot of other folks in there with you. So what I would say is, you know, it's certainly not autobiographical in the literal sense, but it is a combined and shared experience. One of the things about stories that come through families and tribes is that we all have ownership of them. We all have agency in them, and we all have a stake in them. So the other day, I was listening to a great friend of mine give a presentation. Um, Native American Heritage Month is coming up in November. And he kept saying, when we went on the Trail of Tears, when we endured the residential school, when we were forbidden to speak our languages or practice our culture and traditions until the 70s. And he kept saying we, and it dawned on me that he and I are both relatively young people. He wasn't on the Trail of Tears in the 1800s. He wasn't in anybody's residential school in the 50s and the 60s. And in the 70s, you know, he was just fixing, his parents were getting married. And what I realized was that's exactly right. It is we, because we're all one, because we're all big family. I didn't actually walk on the Trail of Tears, but we did. I didn't go to a residential school, but we did. I didn't, you know, I wasn't affected by the certain laws of segregation and anti-miscegenation laws, but we were. That's what he kept saying. And so when people ask me, is it autobiographical? No, it's not a literal account of my day-to-day life. But it is certainly filled with themes about what I long for and other people long for, universal ideas of what it means to be happy, to be loved, to have a successful and and fulfilling relationship with other people and with our creator and our land and our air and our water 
and the animal people and everything that goes with that. So I don't know that it's autobiographical, but I do know that I sure am invested in it. Okay. Now, why why did Indiana and, and I have my throat uh, uh, dealing with a oh bless you. With the, uh, the bless you. Why, why, thank you. Why did Indiana red paint vow to never eat fish again at the start of the marriage of saints? <laughs> I would have to disclose a plot twist to tell you that. But all I will say is there's a story at the beginning of Marriage of Saints that's been anthologized. It's been taught a lot. And it even ended up in an anthology of the year's best horror. And I thought that was interesting because there's no monsters in it. There's no uh, aliens or goblins or ghouls in that story. It opens the Marriage of Saints fish story. But it reminds us that sometimes monsters are people. And so that, that story begins with a young woman who is terribly hurt and damaged by someone and the fact that her sister is able to avenge her in a way that involves a simple, ordinary fish. Hmm. Now, what type of relationship? I'll tell you, I like Indiana Red Paint. What type of mm-hmm. relationship does, does she have with her sister, Tennessee Jane? I think that they have a relationship like many sisters have. I think that they love one another, but most importantly, they're allies. I think that when one of them is hurt, the other one is considers themselves hurt, <laughs> considers themselves um, willing to come to one another's rescue. And I think that's an important part of tribal life as well. Because in tribal life, our first cousins are considered our, our brothers and sisters as well. Our clan relatives are considered our brothers and sisters. So, you know, I hear people say, am I my brother's keeper or am I my sister's keeper? Oh, yes. In tribal life, you sure are. <laughs> mm, okay. So they, they have, a they have a, I guess, a good relationship. Now, does, does Indiana for off-the-shelf listeners who have not yet read the book, and this may be their first time hearing about the Marriage of Saints. Does Indiana Red Paint, does she have any uncommon skills? She says that she makes things happen, healing bones, rain. it rains when she prays. Does she have an uncommon skill? No, ma'am. I know lots of people that have all kinds of spiritual gifts, and I think other people do too. We just don't necessarily recognize it fully in mainstream society, but in tribal cultures we sure do. So in tribal cultures, there are people who are healers. There are medicine men and women. There are people who are singers, and they can sing, and they can create different things in the environment or uh, healing medicine for people. There are people who um, know stories that can bring peace in wartime or change hunger and famine. And so, you know, it's interesting because a lot of mainstream people latch on to that and say, oh, is she psychic or is she, you know, somehow a mutant or gifted or something? And I laugh at that because I knew lots of people a lot like her that just had the ability to pray and things happen. <laughs> you know, um, I wrote a whole book, Mother of Nations, which is basically a prayer for a miracle baby, which we got. It worked. It manifested. So, you know, when people say, do you expect your prayers to be answered? My answer is yes. <laughs> you know, why pray if you don't expect an answer? That's wasting your time and God. So, I mean, I, I feel like that because so many times in my life I've seen miracles. I've prayed and I've been answered with great and wonderful things. I've been answered with miracles, medical miracles. Um, you know, I'm one of those people who died and came back. You know, 1111 is a sacred number in my life because on Thanksgiving Day 2011, I died. The MTs came, I came back. (laughs) So I see miracles all the time. I know lots of people who do. I know lots of people. I can name their names. I can walk up the street and tell you where they are, Shut-In Creek and Soco Mountain and Big Cove Road. There are people who can pray like a house on fire, and they get answers. People, you know, are healed of cancer or people come back and and are healthy after being sick and unwell or people find their way back off of drugs and alcohol into society and become productive members of it. Miracles are happening around us every day. And there are people who are praying and seeing them manifest. 
And that's why, to me, Indiana's not particularly unusual or magical. She's just somebody who's decided to make her intentions, and they work. And sometimes they work in a good way, <laughs> and sometimes, uh, well, you be the judge. <laughs> okay. And I, she sounds so interesting. Now, uh, do Indiana Red Paint and her family, do they believe that people – get back what they what they put out. You know, cast your bread on the water, do they do they you put you put something out, it may take a long time, but it, you will see it again. Well the main character of the way we make sense is a woman named Mana. Mana Red Paint Turner, and that's the daughter of Indiana Red Paint. And then the main character of the marriage of Saints is Sal. Um and I think both of those young women are living proof that you can put good intentions in the world and manifest good things even when things go wrong, even when you're starting out with a deficiency, as the world would call it or the mainstream would call it. I'm not so sure there's such a thing. I know lots of people that started off with all kinds of backgrounds or all kinds of issues that the world would call hindrances or obstacles, and yet I've seen them soar and achieve fantastic things. And so one of the things I would say about the character, the idea of karma doesn't exist for indigenous people. So we don't have a concept of that. You know, people, I hear people say that, you know, oh, you'll get what you deserve or this will happen or that will happen. We don't really have that as tribal people because at any point you can, you can be, decide to link up with the creator and walk with the creator and turn this thing around. And karma if it does exist, I believe it should work both ways. You know, karma shouldn't just be waiting to get you for every bad thing you do. It should be waiting also to bless you for every good thing you do, if there's such a thing. But what I believe in is a wonderful, faithful creator who has mercy on us when we get it wrong and will help us straighten it out and get it right. So we have a moment in the marriage of saints, for example, where Indiana Red Paint does seem to be exacting revenge on a man who has assaulted her sister, right? And you'll catch the fish that you deserve. You'll get what you deserve. But that's that character's perspective at that moment as a wounded person, as a hurt person. That's not an overarching theme of the book. It's certainly not an overarching principle of indigenous theology. Mm. Now, what have readers been saying about uh the mother nations, the way we make sense, the marriage of saints. What type of feedback have you been getting? We know some of your books have been uh, accepted into schools. So what, what have individual readers been telling you about the books? One of the things I love, 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 I host my own award-winning radio program, A Conversation with Don Karima, and you can Google that, and it's on talkpaymentradio.com. It's syndicated to stations, terrestrial radio, and then we have free podcasts, which are downloadable. And one of the wonderful things about hosting that program is that I get to encounter a lot of folks who have read my books or heard my music, and all of that is available at um, Amazon as well. And I think about the people who tell me that the characters remind them of their grandparents or the people who say to me that they were the first person to go to college in their family and so they really like the main character in the way we make sense, Mana, because she does, even though she has a rough start in life because her mother, Indiana, is pretty damaged. Um, she does go to college and she does successfully create a beautiful family and she goes on with her life and leaves her mother and everything else behind to go forward on a positive note. And I hear people who really respond to that, that they had to be brave and they had to step out and somehow do something different. I hear a lot of wonderful feedback from Mother of Nations, I think because poetry hits people right in the soul. And so when they read a poem and they see a line that sticks in their mind, one of my poems says, I decolonize myself by laughing. And that line, people quote that back to me. I, I do a lot of speaking engagements, and I love to do motivational speaking. And I speak at a lot of events where people say to me, I decolonize myself by laughing. And I think that's so important because it's true. 
Native humor is how we survive some of the awful transgressions that have happened in Native American history, tribal history. And so when people take those lines or they take those pieces of a poem and they anthologize it, a lot of my poetry is anthologized in textbooks and poetry collections and magazines and periodicals and other places where people respond to it. That blesses me because it means right there it's bringing people together. It's doing something to heal a space in them. They needed the words for how they felt, and one of my books was able to give it to them, or one of my songs was able to give it to them. I have a song, The Desire of Nations, and the poem is actually published in The Marriage of Saints. It's one of the chapters in Marriage of Saints. And that song recently was a finalist in the World Songwriting Awards for Modern Country. And people say to me all the time, I love that song. That song sums it up. The desire of nations is simply you laughing with me. It's me with someone who loves me and cares about me. It's me with a family of my own. It's me, and it's really, it is I, but okay. <laughs> but it, it is me um, enjoying life to the fullest. It's me feeling loved and not judged by the creator. And so that kind of feedback is incredibly encouraging. Because what it means is that these messages in these books are working to heal people and help people and love people, even if I'm not in the room. Mm. Now, can you share three to four steps as we come down to less than 10 minutes in the day's show? Dawn, can you share three to four steps that you've taken, uh, particularly for our off-the-shelf listeners who themselves would love to write and publish a book or who already have and want to want to get it out to as many readers as possible. So if you could share three to four steps that you've taken that you, you have found to be effective at getting the word out about your stories and your books. Well, first of all, I really want to encourage you to have a whole life. Have a whole, bright, brilliant, wonderful life. Meet people. Volunteer. Do things. Not for the writing, but for you. Become the kind of person that can write and tell fascinating stories. Be interested in other people. Learn from them. Walk in humility so that you have the kind of life that will give you stories, that will give you poetry, that will give you ideas about which you can write. And I think so often people come to me, you know, and I've taught at the university level too for quite a while, and people come to me and they say, I want to write books. And I think, mm, yep, that's a good way not to ever write a book. <laughs> Start with life. Start with the things that give you stories. Start with the things that are going to give you a unique perspective on the world. Let, let your messages and your stories come to you as you serve and you give and you love others. And so that would be the first step. The second step that I would tell people that has blessed me so much is to remember that writing is relational. Public, getting books published is about relationships. You can write the very best, wonderful, most American novel in the world. And if no one knows who you are and you don't know any publishers and you don't have any networking, we'll never see it. Even if you self-publish it, we won't see it because we won't even know you exist or that it's out there. So begin to build relationships. Social media is a wonderful way to do that, network with other authors, network with other people. Um, begin to build the kind of relationships that will help you get a book published. I tell everyone that all of my books were published by people who were kind to me. They were all published because I knew someone who knew the publisher. I didn't have to go through the slush pile and submit manuscripts and wait to find out. I knew someone else who was another author on the roster. I knew someone else who had had a book published there, and they hand-carried the book to the publisher or the editor, or they made a way for me to meet the publisher or the editor. Writing is relational. Even the magazines, now that I think about it, the editors of those magazines were people who knew people I knew or people I met at a conference, and I got to know them and cared about them. So never underestimate being kind and friendly and reaching out to people and building real relationships with them and seeing what comes out of that. 
The third step, if you really want to write, then write. I see a lot of people who sit around coffee shops all day talking about books. I see a lot of people who say they want to be a writer or people who take endless classes in writing. But are you writing? Because the only thing that can get published is the thing that you write. And please start writing. Don't wait on that. Even if every day you just journal a little bit or you write a poem every day or you write a few lines toward a short story every day. But don't forget with all the trappings of the writer's life that you got to write. And that brings me to the fourth step. That I, this is where many people falter. You have to submit your writing. Right? When you write a poem, if you want to be a published author, you have to send it to somebody. A journal, a magazine, an online blog, something. You have to start submitting and publishing your work if you really want to be a working writer. So I get approached all the time by people who have stacks of notebooks and journals. They'll say, oh, I've got 50 poems. Well, where have they been published? Well, nowhere. Why? Because you didn't send them off. You didn't start letting people see your work and start sending it out for uh, publication. So write and submit. If you get a rejection, submit it somewhere else. Don't even miss a beat. Just say, okay, they didn't appreciate that, but this person will. Keep going, keep going, keep going. But writing and submitting, that's what makes you a professional published writer. Not just the idea of being a writer or wanting to be a writer or dressing like a writer or reading books like a writer or drinking coffee like a writer. Being a writer and submitting your writing, that's a career in writing. And then building the relationships. Uh, thank you for what you shared as far as, because marketing a book is work. <laughs> and I would tell them. Yes. Yes. And, and get, it is. And, and and get your book professionally edited. And and also, um, yeah, and get get in for just, I mean, if you self-publish, you've got to, you can, you, can, you can market your book forever and ever and ever. Just keep writing more and more books and keep promoting them and marketing them with direct mail and whether it's email, postcards, speaking engagements, social, social media, media, radio shows. Yeah. There's just so many ways Relationships to get out there. too. Yeah, you do you wanna do you wanna tell as many people as you can, whether you put it on your T shirt, a, a sticker on your card, you wanna introduce as many people as you can to your book. But thank you for what you shared, Dawn. We coming down to the end of the show, I wanna ask you, are you working on any new books? And if so, can you give us a glimpse into what you're writing on now? <laughs> I'm writing I'm working on my masterpiece right now. I'm a full time stay at home mother and my time is devoted to my wonderful miracle baby. And he is my masterpiece. All of the things I've ever done have brought me to the point where I am prepared to be his mother. And I am so glad to be his mother that that is what I'm devoting my time to. I host my radio show, and it comes on once a week on TalkTainmentRadio.com. You can also download the free podcast. It's called A Conversation with Don Karima. And so I'm hosting the show, and I'm raising my son, and I am thanking God for it all. Oh, awesome. Now, what, what day, what time? Does a conversation with Dawn Karina Rima come on for listeners who want to check you out? Well, the very best way to do that is simply to Google a conversation with Dawn Karima. That's K-A-R-I-M as in Mary A. And that will come up on Google. And you can go to our free podcasts and you can download as many as you like and hear brilliant, beautiful indigenous people talking about their art, their education, their politics, their spirituality, all of the great, wonderful things they're doing in the world. Okay. Where can listeners get a copy of your books, Dawn? Well, Mother of Nations is from Uttered Chaos Press, or you can go right to Amazon and order it. You know, Christmas is coming. Native American Heritage Month is November. Buy a whole bunch. Educate someone. Buy a whole bunch. Bless somebody. Mother of Nations is at Amazon. You can find The Marriage of Saints at the University of Oklahoma Press or on Amazon as well. And The Way We Make Sense is available from Aunt Loop Books or it is available also on Amazon. The Music, uh, The Stars of Heaven and The Desire of Nations, both Global, Award, uh, Global Music Award winners, and uh, The Desire of Nations is a Native American Music Award winner. You can find that 
on iTunes or you can find it on Amazon or CD Baby. So Amazon pretty much has all the books and the music you would ever want, but you can also go to iTunes for the music and CD Baby for the music as well. And lastly, where can we find you on social media? Are you on any of the social media networks? Can you let our listeners know where they can find you? Yes. Oh, you'd be so welcome to find us. Dawn Karima, just like when the sun comes up, K-A-R-I-M-A-Z-A-M-A-R-A. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter, Dawn Karima. Both of those are public. And I have a Facebook fan page. All you have to do is like Dawn Karima on Facebook, and you'll get uplifting, um, encouraging things. We also have a Native Beauties page, N, the number eight, the letter V, and Beauties. And we have half a million followers there right now. And you can click on that to find out what's going on in Native America and find out what we know and want to share with you about being indigenous. So Dawn Karima on Instagram, Dawn Karima on Twitter, and Dawn Karima Facebook fan page, and Native Beauties on Facebook as well. Thank you so much. We want to thank Dawn Karima for being here with us. Went off the shelf this morning. She's an ordained minister, and she says the Kuala Boundary Reservation in Cherokee, North Carolina, again, she has her bachelor's of, from Harvard and her master's from Ohio State. Her doctorate degree is from the University of Kentucky. Some of the books that Dawn has written, The Way We Make Sense, The Marriage of Saints, and her latest book, Mother of Nations. She is a finalist for the New Mexico Book Award and a Woman of Excellence Global Award nominee. And she talked about her podcast, A Conversation with Dawn Karima. If you love music, she also has two CDs out. We want to thank Dawn again for being here with us. What a blessing, what a blessing, what a blessing. Please go out and get her her books, her CDs, and support her. And remember, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Thank you, Dawn. I'll shoot you an email when the show finishes streaming. Bye for now. <laughs>